0: One in five Canadians will experience a mental illness in any given year, and I'm one of those people. I have OCD. Let me tell you, it's not easy getting through life sometimes. There are a lot of barriers. Today on The Signal Podcast, we explore what it would be like in a more perfect world, where people living with mental illness don't face so many challenges. I'm a journalism student at the University of King's College and this week my audio workshop has agreed to help me look at the problems people living with mental illness face and how we can help. I sat down and talked to mental health advocate Ali Garber who also has OCD.
1: It was absolutely something I did not talk about at all. When I was diagnosed, I felt very ashamed. So even though, you know, on a personal level, it was really um, amazing to have that name and information, uh, it was still something I only shared with my family and close friends. I was very concerned that uh, employers um, and, you know, acquaintances uh, would absolutely judge me um, and and base any sort of uh, assumptions on my character on, you know, Knowing that I had a mental illness. And uh, that was very scary. It wasn't until recently um, that uh, I really felt more confident, I think, because I was in the position um, where I do have a great sense of privilege. I'm white, I'm middle class, I have uh, a stable career, I'm self employed, um, that I felt perhaps I, I. could use my voice to be able to amplify uh, the issues that other people face, you know myself included. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still not 100% comfortable with it though, you know it, It's not easy. I don't think anyone mm-hmm. finds it really easy. Um, certainly OCD that is less understood um, and people have again a sense of it being you know uh, like you're super neat super organized and oh I need to have all these things in order and it's just like such a misconception yeah um, when you know um, the way my OCD, is for lack of a better word is that essentially I feel like if I don't follow through on an obsessive thought if I don't follow through with the compulsion I live in great fear like debilitating fear that something bad is going to happen to me to somebody I love um something terrible is going to happen Mm -hmm. I can't really define what that something bad is but it's debilitating and it's um it's life-altering really it when untreated um it's uh, it's exhausting. Interesting thing about OCD, um, I guess the contrasting thing about OCD that's different from other mental illnesses is that you realize how irrational it is. Like mm-hmm. you realize how ridiculous it is. Yeah. Like the fact that if I pull the second face cloth, that like disaster will fall upon myself mm-hmm. or my family. The sky
0: will fall or whatever the fear is. Right. Yeah. But
1: I can't shake it. Yeah. And it turns into these physically debilitating Mm -hmm. like symptoms Mm -hmm. um and um it that's hard for people to understand so what are some things that in a perfect world
0: you would want to see in terms of accommodation for mental illness
1: you know we see so many um awareness campaigns and i certainly feel like there's a role for those absolutely and i think that there has been positive change because of that um I think lately what's really been stuck in my head is how we accept some forms of mental illness and we're more comfortable talking about them um, in comparison to other mental illnesses or even um, talking about somebody or or being able to listen to somebody who's quote unquote doing well and stabilized um, in contrast to when they're not doing well, mm-hmm. like when they're in the midst of a mental health crisis. And I'm getting to a place where I'm feeling a bit more comfortable talking about those more harrowing experiences, mm-hmm. what it looks like when you're actually experiencing a crisis. <laughs> like it's, it's your most vulnerable kind of um, aspect of your life yeah. in many ways. And so, but with that said, uh, I think there needs to be um, leaders in order to open, to, to create a path for, mm-hmm. for other people in the future. It, I think it says something to the people that speak out about their courage uh, in, in being able to do so. But yeah, it, it comes with a lot of risk. And don't you think she's
0: one of those leaders? That was Ellie, Ali Garber. Last year, she was one of Bell Let's Talk's featured people. And Ali says having a productive career is an important part of anyone's life, and having the freedom to feel supported at work is
1: essential. Here's Ali again. In terms of uh, workplaces, I think we've seen a lot of progress in some areas, but I think we have uh, a ways to go. Um, I would love to see the day where you could call an employer um, and say, hey, I'm really struggling with my OCD. I'm going to need a couple of days off so I can go see my psychologist so I can perhaps talk about adjusting my medication.
0: For more on this, we spoke with Heather spidal She's a public relations professor at Mount St. Vincent University in Halifax who has experience working in human resources. She says that making people feel accommodated is just a matter of taking the time.
2: We have misperceptions about what people can do and what they can accomplish if they have a mental illness. And I think we need to get past that, Mm -hmm. Um, but certainly that as a prospective employee uh, going out into the workforce is something that they have to face. I know that as a manager uh, working in various companies and working with mental health consumers, I know that there is a duty to accommodate. Whether it's legal or not, it's the right thing to do to make sure that your employee has the tools and support to be successful in the workplace. Everybody has potential and a lot of times we're racing and we're very busy and we don't want to spend the time and we're driven by profits and I respect that but I think time is something that could change everything. Uh, Time, respect, empathy and integrity. So someone might say, we're a long way off from that, but my daughter always says, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And I think we just have to start doing it. So what could it look like? Uh, It could look like instead of terminating someone because they're not performing the way you would like, that you actually take the time to coach and mentor that individual and that you find out what might be barriers for them in terms of their performance. And then you coach and mentor them so that that they start to excel. I worked for a company once that said in order to have satisfied customers you must first have satisfied employees. And I think that's what I would say to anyone who said that it would take too much time in a perfect world, I would just like to see us uh, slow down a little bit, get to know people as individuals, and then understand what their strengths and capabilities are, and always come to the table with respect um, and empathy. And I think if we do that, um, we can move the needle for sure.
0: That was MSVU professor Heather Spidell on the importance of taking the time to honor everyone's potential. University student-athletes can seem like the big, popular jocks on campus, but this doesn't make them immune from mental health struggles. And you might think the world of, of athletics is a tough place to be if you have a mental illness. Former University of King's College women's soccer player, Sydney Kucherek, struggled with mental health, but she felt the soccer pitch was a good escape for her.
3: Um, I think it was because, like, it was a nice place to, like, talk to other people. Forget that I have, like, anxiety and depression and, like, because I didn't have, I wasn't anxious when I was on the field. I just, like, automatically knew what to do. Um, when I was running, like, it just, like, made me feel, like, really good. I just, like, knew that, like, it was an entire team thing. So even, like, if I messed up, there was someone there that was going to help me. Um, and I guess like I wanted that projected onto my like everyday life as well. I made some really really good friends on the team. I'm still friends with some of them now. Yeah, like yeah, I could talk to them about like anything. Well, for professors, I had one professor tell me that um, athletics aren't a thing. <laughs> she doesn't believe in them. She wouldn't like make any accommodations for games or anything like that. Um, So I think that's, like, super important, especially, like, for me when, like, soccer is, like, so important. Like, school is obviously important as well, but you do have to, like, look out for your mental health. And if that's something that's, like, helping, then I think it needs to be a bit more accommodated for. Like, concerning mental health, I just think it's, like, really important, even if you don't want to play a sport, um, I think it's definitely important to, like, go to the gym, go for a run, just do something that's, like, moving your body it just releases so much hormones that you need that like really make you feel a lot better.
0: And student athletic programs are paying attention. In 2016, Atlantic University Sports teamed up with Bell Let's Talk to have a special games dedicated to mental health awareness. It has been happening ever since. Dalhousie University Executive Director of of Athletics and Recreation, Tim Maloney was interviewed at the Dow Women's Hockey Team's Bell Let's Talk game last Sunday.
4: Right when we talk to potential student athletes and recruits, um, that message is made very clear that not just their coaches' doors are open, but mine is open, and I'm by no means an expert in the space or a counsellor, um, but I, I, I do have that door that's open and two ears that are willing to listen. And, uh, and we also kind of have avenues and, and resources available to us that, that we can get people help should they need it. Yeah, Actually, a couple of years ago, um, we did a customized training um, on mental health delivered by our, our, our counseling services folks on campus who put together a, a customized training program so that our coaches could just gain a better understanding of, of what it is, what to look for, how to have those conversations, and then also understand the resources available to our students um, on campus and in the community.
0: That was Tim Maloney. He's the Executive Director of Athletics and Recreation at Dalhousie. It is good to see that student athletics are shooting to help their athletes with their mental health struggles. Research shows the importance of attending to culture and counseling and psychotherapy. Sometimes it's easier to work with someone who looks like you and understands where you're coming from. But are mental health care services in Nova Scotia culturally sensitive? We talked to three students who identify as people of color. Here are Claudia Castillo Prent, Dexter Nunabe,
5: and How Lee. My name is Claudia Castillo Prent.
6: My name is Dexter John Unabey. My name is Lee.
5: I do struggle with quite a bit of anxiety, so I was going to a counsellor at DAL to try and get some help. Last year, they ended up leaving, so recently I actually started getting, trying to get back into the process of seeing someone regularly, but the process did feel, like, pretty unwelcoming. I remember asking the person of the walk-in appointment, like, if I could specifically be with, like, a racialized counsellor, or specifically a black counsellor, just to feel more comfortable, Um, and she actually pulled out like a list of the pictures of all the counselors, and just looked at it to try and, like, I guess identify um, a racialized person.
6: Back in 2015, 2016, you know, this was uh, during a time where uh, I was still kind of going through the same stresses that uh, most students would go through. I had uh, a conversation with uh, with one of my counselors. Um, but she wasn't, um, she, was, she was in training, uh, so it wasn't really necessarily um, the very best. From there, I had to go through the hospital um, and then attempted to, uh, to get, uh, get help through outpatient services. Well, I have went to the psychological counseling in Dalhousie to uh, look for help for depression,
5: and I also went to the peer support to look for help. Trying to look for racialized counselors or like psychologists is, is um, a bit of a struggle, from what I've heard from others as well. It's pretty expensive, so that just makes it inaccessible already. On top of that, like being of like a second-generation immigrant family, um, I do know there's quite a bit of stigma with even reaching out, so it kind of discourages you.
6: In my culture, we don't talk about mental health. I'm a black man. I'm a, I'm an African Canadian. Uh, we do not talk about mental health. Uh, so if uh, the particular counselor or therapist that I'm dealing with doesn't recognize that that is already an added barrier, uh, along with you know uh, certain things that uh, that I go through uh, through this life as a person of color, uh, then you know uh, it can sometimes feel as if your you know the skin that you live in is 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 being uh, neglected. When I communicate with the counselor in English, what the counselor suggested is sometimes I like I can understand what they are suggesting, but uh, uh, but when I try to express what I'm suggesting in English, sometimes uh, it's hard for them to understand.
5: In my experience also um, about like just with like counselors not having the right experience to deal with certain situations. So like, for example, um, if someone has some issues at home, like family issues that might have come from intergenerational trauma that come from um, colonialism, a lot of counselors don't know how to deal with that. Having folks that can understand us and that can make us feel comfortable because um, seeking mental health support is all about building a relationship with the person that you're talking to. So if you can't feel comfortable in that relationship, it's really not going to work.
6: It would be definitely a great step in seeing, um, it, you know, if, if it already hasn't been done, uh, that uh, continuous input is, is, is brought in by members, specifically marginalized communities, um, people of color, uh, on the state of healthcare in this province. It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to, uh, to suffer in silence. There will be somebody out there if you reach out.
0: That was Dalhousie student Claudia Castillo-Prent and NSCC students Haoran Lee and Dexter Nunaby, who is also a mental health advocate. If you are in crisis, the mental health crisis line is 1-888-429-8167. They want you to reach out whatever your cultural background is. Now, what do a printer, an alarm clock, and a cookie jar have in common? Holy smokes! If you guessed things to smash with a baseball bat, you might be right. Sometimes, in this less-than-perfect world where our needs often aren't met, people just need to burn off some stress or express some rage. And there's a place in Halifax that provides a unique service for those in need of smashing things. Emma Wilkie visited the Rage Room and spoke with a few locals who prefer this alternative form of therapy to what the system has to offer. You will hear from loyal patron Ellen Henniger and business owner Terry LeBlanc about what Breaking Stuff does for them.
4: This place exists because you can't get your rage out in your real life, right? Like, in a perfect world,
5: how would you be able to relieve your stress?
7: Well, speaking from experience, um, our mental health system is a mess here. The wait times are ridiculous for everything. So it helps to actually have a good outlet, a healthy outlet that you can do. And I I find the Rage Room gives me that.
4: Who am I speaking with? Uh, Ellen Henniger. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet Uh, you. Well, will you be smashing today? Hopefully lots of cool stuff.
7: Plates and <laughs> mugs and ornaments, whatever he's got. <laughs> there you go. You got the
6: bats. You got to grab this for the info. There's actually a couple yeah. of new ones over
7: there now. This is my fourth time.
4: What kind of stress or rage are you trying to relieve?
7: Oh, I'm going through, like, a medical investigation and stuff like that. And, like, stress at work and everything. So, just, it feels good to get all the rage out, basically.
6: All right, we got it. We're all ready.
7: Ready to go. Let's go smash some shit. Yeah, in a perfect world, yeah. The healthcare system... Like, I know my friend, she's been trying to get help for depression. She's all had, like, a year waiting list and stuff like that. So it's just... It can get better, so hopefully it will.
6: Honestly, really, the uh, the real emphasis of this business is entertainment. People do come here to rage, because they need to. But most people come here to have fun. That's really what we're about. And if somebody happens to... Have a bad day, come in here and smash a bunch of stuff, and they walk out with a big on their face. then my job is done.
0: That was Ellen Henniger and Terriel Ablaw at the Rage Room. Raging isn't for everyone, though. Sometimes a softer approach is better, and there's a lot of research that shows cuddling with a furry friend can provide relief for stress and can even bring down blood pressure and your heartbeat. In a perfect world, maybe animals are allowed in more places. Here at King's, there are several dogs on campus. King's staff member, Jennifer Elvidge,
4: brings her dog, Frodo, to campus every day. His face is so perfect. Last year, kind of around this time into exams at the end of the year, the students found it nice to be able to come in and there's often a big gang of students that sit in the middle of the floor there and just kind of snuggle him because it's a good stress relief when you're worked crazy like you guys are. Mm.
2: Oh, you're <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm like right
5: away. I just love That's this dog. Okay.
4: Times he'll be off somewhere in the office and they'll be at counter in tears almost because of their student account and he'll just wander around and sit by their feet and a couple of them have just oh this is the best thing I needed this today. There's obviously a benefit that people have seen with having animals around in stressful times and the disadvantage is that most places can't have one all the time. Like you don't have access to that all the time. Well, you to make my say <laughs> That was Jennifer Elvidge.
0: She works in the bursar's office at King's, along with Friendly Frodo. Actually, King's brings puppies to campus during exam season. Lots of universities across the country do that now. Mark Grant operates the nonprofit organization called Therapeutic Paws of Canada and runs puppy rooms on campus.
1: When therapy dogs come in, here's a big, lovable dog or a small dog that you can hunt, pat, uh, hold on to, share stories with uh, many of the handlers about the dog that you're leaving at home right now and that you miss so much. So therapy dogs provide that, that bond, uh, short-term bond, to the, uh, the folks we meet and they put smiles on people's faces and they they relieve the tension that uh, uh, drop the blood pressure of individuals uh, for a few minutes and it just gives them a, a change of lifestyle as short as it may be, it's very, very effective.
0: That was Mark Grant, the Therapeutic Pause of Canada. When it comes to dealing with mental illness, different strokes for different folks. I'm going to give the
1: last word to Ali Garber. You know, I, I don't think you could take away from the bravery of the people who are stepping up on that day to talk. Um, While well, I think we definitely need to challenge Bell to do more, um, it's absolutely a start. Um but again, I think if there's anything I would like to see changed um, is instead of just congratulating the person um, that is doing well, that is kind of see, seem to be overcome, have overcome their, their illness. I'd like to be able to see more compassion and empathy for those who are really in the depths of their struggle and having the courage uh, to be able to lend a hand and mm-hmm. do what you can to, to get them help.
0: That's the Mental Health Matters Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jessica Briand with the audio workshop at the University of King's College School of Journalism. Like what you hear? Give us a follow on Twitter or Instagram. We're at SignalHFX. Thanks to producer Salam Shuait and Emma Wilkie, who's in charge of social media. And to technician Mark Pinio and our audio prof, Pauline Dakin. And don't forget to be brave enough to help someone out.